You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. In Matthew chapter number 2, verses 1 through 12. And if you are able, once you get there, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, once again, welcome here to Providence. My name is Eric, if you don't know me, I serve as the Director of Missions and Outreach, and I'm excited to get in the Word uh, today. Um, as he was saying, we've been in an Advent series because it is uh, Christmas time. Uh, and if you were here last week, Court talked a lot about uh, just his, his love for Christmas, and I share that same love. It's a, it's a great uh, part of the year for me. I love the, the cold, which happens about twice a year here, so it's really nice, uh, and I embrace that. Um, but as we know, you know, uh, Christmas, uh, and you guys probably wear this as Christians, right? There's a lot of uh, also goofy things in our culture about Christmas, like killing someone to get, you know, uh, into Walmart to get gifts and stuff like that. So, you know, like it's crazy, like this commercialism, right? This consumerism uh, that is a part of us uh, is a weird thing, right? And we see kind of with all the movies, if you ever watch those like cheesy Hallmark movies on Christmas, which I know you watch them, okay? I've seen a few. I enjoy them as well. Uh, it's, it's a sick thing, really. But... Um, Those things, you see this theme throughout Christmas, right? That it's the season of hope. It's the season of joy, right? Like, it's gonna be nice. You gotta be nice during Christmas, right? And and it's kind of this, like, sense of... uh, that something's going to happen this year in the Christmas season that's just going to be life-satisfying. It's going to be the greatest thing that's ever happened. You're probably going to get with family. And for most of you, that's probably a good thing, right? You enjoy your family. Uh, and well, what we realize pretty much every year, at least I have in my own soul, is that there's always something missing, right? There's always this kind of maybe a sense of a false hope uh, of something that's just going to fix itself because the air is hopeful or something, you know? Uh, and we kind of realize it doesn't always work out that way. Uh, and, and, and 
Court talked a lot about making sure we remember uh, the substance uh, of what we're celebrating at Christmas. He said this uh, last week. He said, sometimes it's easy to be okay with the shadow instead of embracing the substance, right? Uh, so there's a shadow of what uh, uh, it might be, right? The season might be, but the substance belongs to Christ, right? That's what we're celebrating when we talk about Christmas. Uh, and so here in Matthew, uh, we're about to get into this uh, this section right here that Court just read, and it's a really cool section of scripture. It's about the wise men, right? And we'll get into some uh, things about the wise men that are very interesting. Uh, but Matthew's kind of overarching theme, what he's doing in this book is he's trying to show us uh, that Christ really is the Messiah King. He really is the king that comes after the lineage of David. He is the long-awaited Messiah that Israel had been waiting for this entire time, right? And we see as he comes uh, onto the scene, he's not really appreciated for that, right? His own people don't recognize him. Uh, but we get a cool glimpse here from the wise men of that happening. And so what he's going to do is he's going to show us uh, a picture. He's going to make a juxtaposition between the wise men and King Herod. And he's going to go back and forth, and basically what Matthew is doing here is he is giving us uh, some reactions that they have to the presence of Jesus. So Jesus comes on the scene, he's born, his presence in there, and we're going to see that the wise men uh, and Herod, they both have very different reactions to Jesus coming on uh, the scene. And so we're going to look at those, and basically as we kind of look at these juxtapositions, we're going to see uh, maybe some truths uh, about Jesus himself uh, that I hope will leave us with a lot of hope during the season, a lot of joy, a lot of satisfaction in who he is. And so to that end, I love to pray and uh, just ask the Lord to help us today as we go through his word. So if you wouldn't mind joining me in prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you that we have unlimited amount of hope and joy and satisfaction in you. Uh, and as we, we go through your word today, as we look at the text, God, would you help us? Would you help us to see you for who you are? Would you renew uh, in us the joy of our salvation? God, would you uphold and lift up our spirits today? And would you help us to not be satisfied with the shadow, God, but to be satisfied with the substance, which is you, that's why we're here. That's why we gather together to hear the word because we want you. And so God, help, help the word. Just search us today and um, would you change us for the better, uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, we're just going to kind of walk through the verses and just point some things out here, uh, some promises. But we'll just kind of get, uh, this is a cool narrative story. So let's just start in verse 1. It says this. Um, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the, king, uh, Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. And so we don't have tons of information on the wise men, okay? This, uh, this word for wise men is sometimes translated uh, magi. Or magician, it could even be translated wizard, which is pretty cool. So uh, picture Gandalf in this moment, maybe a few Gandalfs coming to meet Jesus. If that doesn't sit right with you, picture Shaq from Shazam. Either way, okay, a wizard is 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 what is here. Um, but these guys were uh, they were magicians of some sorts. They were wise men uh, in in the east, and so basically, um, there's some debate about maybe what really made them wise men. But they were probably in some type of weird arts, right? Like 
uh, obviously interpreting stars, doing dreams, maybe doing magic tricks like David Blaine. It was something like that, okay? But these guys were considered uh, wise men in their country. They were, they were noble, right? So they were like on par with King Herod. Like King, Herod was, uh, King Herod was a noble man, and these guys were, were the same thing. And we don't know a lot about them. We don't know what they believed. Uh, we knew that they weren't Jewish. They came from the east, probably from Babylon or, or some uh, uh, eastern, you know, from Israel country. Um, so we don't have tons of information, but I would like to talk about a few things that we, we do know about them and really it's going to be uh their conduct but somehow some way they knew that a king was going to be born that this star was going to represent this king and that this king was going to be significant on the world stage somehow we know that much because they traveled pretty far to come from the east was was a pretty big deal back then right they you can't just hop on a plane and take a quick plane ride. They had to travel, I'm sure, for days and days to come find this Jesus uh, that was under this star. And so they knew, in whatever situation, that it was going to be a significant one and that it was important. They come and they pay homage to this king that was going to be born. So we know that about the wise men. Um, like I said, we know that they came from the east, not really sure which country. I'm sure there's scholars that maybe have a better idea than me, but we just know they came east, uh, east to west. Um, and then um, also, just for fun, we don't know how many there were, okay? It's a common misconception that there was three of them, but I'm here to tell you, don't believe the propaganda of the three wise men, okay? We're not sure. There were three gifts, but it's hard to tell how many there were. We know there were more than one, right? Because they're men, not man. Um, so uh, I want to look at the first juxtaposition that uh, Matthew is going to make here between their reaction. So Jesus is born. He's on the scene. It is, he was probably about two years old at this point or so. We don't know the exact age of Jesus. Uh, but these wise men are coming, and let's see how they react. Because they go to King Herod thinking, okay, King Herod's going to know where this king is, right? He's going to know where the new king of Israel is. So he goes to talk to them. Uh, and so I'll just kind of go through both. So first, what we see here is the wise men. They were, um, for some reason, uh, obviously by God's grace, they were expecting and they were hoping for Jesus to come, okay? There's an excitement about them, so much so, like I said, that they would travel over land in a very inconvenient and uncomfortable way to come meet this king. And so there was an expectation, and I would probably say a hopeful expectation of this king, this Messiah king that was going to come. And so they also had an intention in their heart not just to come and just to be there, right, but they came to worship him. Now, we don't know if this meant like, you know, they knew he was God and they were just ready to worship or if they were just going to pay homage to the king as an honor type of thing. But either way, it says they, they were coming to worship. So they were hopeful, they were expectant, they were coming to worship God. And then King Herod's reaction is significantly different. Let's look at verse 3. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So, Herod has a different reaction. Herod hears about this king, and his reaction is that he is troubled. And not only is Herod troubled, but it says all of Jerusalem was troubled too, 
right? So these are the people that are supposed to be waiting for the Messiah to come, right? That was going to deliver them from the oppression of their enemies. It was going to establish their kingdom forever. And Herod even more so, right? Being the king of the people of Israel should have been expectant and hopeful and joyful about the coming of Jesus Christ. But instead, he was troubled. He was troubled. He was worried. He started to figure out, okay, where, where is he coming? He started to get this information, right? And, and so what we see here about uh, King Herod is, is he was troubled. And we've got to ask the question, why? Why was he troubled? What's such a big deal, right? Shouldn't this be a happy moment that the king is going to come? Uh, I think the reason is obvious, right? Uh, he, he realized in that moment that um, his kingdom of uh, corrupt politics, selfish ambition, self-promotion, was about to be taken away from him, right? He was about to be exposed for his nakedness, his emptiness, right? This was about to be exposed by the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the rightful king. His kingdom was about to be ripped away. And so Herod, instead of rejoicing at the coming of Christ and, and wanting to be a part of his kingdom, right, Herod instead was trying to figure out how he could protect his own kingdom. He was threatened by the coming of Jesus. And so were many people in Jerusalem. It's one thing to say you're excited about the king, right? It's another thing to really be excited about the king in this circumstance. And, and for us, you know, we don't want to be exposed, right? We, we are, are naked before God. We, we can't avoid that, right? God knows the inward parts of our hearts. I remember when, when I was younger, because uh, you kind of reach this, you know, uh, stage when you're super young, like my kids are, you know, you just, you don't care about being naked at all. It's like the greatest thing of all time, right? And then there comes the, this turning point in your life where you say, this is kind of weird. I should probably cover this up, you know, what's going on here? And so when I hit that stage, I remember, I don't know why I remember this. It's like one of my earliest memories, which I guess is really sad. But um, my, my mom had some like friends over or something like that. And uh, she was kind of showing through this album. And there was a picture of me as, as a baby. And uh, I was naked as a baby. And she showed this picture. And I remember her friends were laughing in that moment. I was like so offended, right, that they would show this naked picture of me. And my mom would do that to me. So I snuck in later. I took the album and I tried to take the picture out. But I couldn't get the picture out, so I tried to cut it out. And I, like, ruined this album completely, okay? It was, like, destroyed. My mom was so mad at me. But in that moment, I was, like, terrified, right, that someone was going to see me naked. And in the same way, in a more real and powerful and sinful way, Herod feels that same fear, right? He's about to be exposed. Charles Spurgeon, in a sermon on Hebrews 9, he said this. He said, you may work your fingers to the bone, but you could never weave a righteousness that shall cover your nakedness before God. We could try as hard as we want to, but we are going to be exposed. And so I think some application for us uh, would be that like Herod, we desperately try to cover our nakedness, our wickedness, uh, our sinfulness, instead of letting Jesus graciously expose those things in us and leading us to the only place uh, that we could really build our life on, a true foundation, right? Which is not that, that we are good, but that he is. And so I think some application is that we, we would stop trying to do that, right? And instead that we would find hope. So this is what you see with the Magi, right? The wise men, they are hopeful and expectant. There's no pretense there from what we can see in the text. And, and, and they're excited to meet Jesus. And Herod it feels the opposite. He lacks this hope. But for those of us who have been saved by Christ, who have been 
already exposed in a very gentle way by the grace of Jesus Christ and have been made righteous and clothed in his righteousness, right? We have hope. We can trust him, right? So that's the first truth that this text leads us to, which is in Jesus, we have hope. In Jesus, we have hope because we are not put to shame, right? But instead, we are loved by God and therefore as we approach his presence, it's joy, it's happiness, it's trust, it's excitement instead of the opposite. Um, and, and entrusting Jesus is such an important thing. And, and here's the deal. Jesus accepts the worst parts of us so we don't have to feel the need to project the best parts of us. You know what I mean? Like he accepts the worst parts of us, therefore we don't have to feel the need to project the best parts of us and show everyone how good we are because we're free from that in Jesus Christ. And I love that uh, Hudson Taylor, he was a, a missionary uh, to China, endured a lot of suffering. And he had this, uh, you would think, man, this guy's awesome. He's serving the Lord, right? Uh, but he had this struggle with trust sometimes. You know, he had a really bad point in his life where he started believing like some uh, bad theology that was later corrected. But he said on the mission field, one of the lines that stuck with me the most, and he said that um, when I cannot read, when I cannot think, when I cannot even pray, I can trust, right? There was this hope that he found in God in his suffering that is so important for us. So let's continue on in the text and look at some more stuff here. We're gonna see another juxtaposition. Look at verse seven. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship. Now, we see a whole new level of evil that Herod is getting into right here, okay? So Herod uh, understands that this is like actually fulfilling prophecy. It's in Bethlehem. The star is here. There's a lot of weird things going on. And he realizes he's about to be exposed. And so what he does is he results to scheming and lying uh, to make sure that at the end of the day he can destroy Jesus Christ, right? That's what he does. He immediately goes to, instead of uh, rejoicing like we said before, he goes to scheming and lying. He says, hey, if you find him, come let me know so I can come and worship too. Herod did not want to worship. We're going to read on uh, maybe in another week or so, but you can read on afterwards, uh, starting in verse 13, uh, basically that Herod goes on this like, all-out genocide of children that were around Jesus' age uh, so that he could make sure he snuffed out the Messiah. An all-out genocide. Now that kind of evil should make us sick, right? And we see that evil abundant in our world today. It should make us sick. That's crazy. And we would probably say, oh, I would never do that, right? That's insane. I don't doubt. You probably wouldn't do that, okay? I don't think any of you are going to go out here and commit genocide today. But I will say that evil that you see in Herod to the person who doesn't love Christ, that hatred exists in them. It does, right? Love for the world is enmity with God. To be opposed to Christ is to be uh, hateful towards him. And so we see this reaction. He's just building this monstrosity of lies to make sure that he can destroy him. Um, and so this is what it looks like if we reject Christ. But the magi, the wise men, they respond differently. And I love this text. It's so good. So starting in verse 9, they say, uh, after listening to the king, and they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. So the wise men, 
They listen to Herod and they begin to go out and to search for King Jesus. And there's this star, which had to be like some supernatural thing. I mean, I don't know. It's just like literally resting right above. It led them from the east all the way over. This is like the North Star on steroids, okay? It's above Jesus. It's God just once again flexing his power and uh, showing his grace and mercy. And they go to find Jesus and their reaction when they see Jesus is totally what you would not expect from a man from the east who does not know about Christ, right? They come and they see Jesus and their reaction is to rejoice with exceedingly great joy and to fall down at Jesus' face and to worship him. This is the reaction of the Magi. So unlike Herod, who's scheming to put Jesus to death, they come and when they see Christ, they are met with this great abundance of joy. What a beautiful picture we have right here of all of the nations, right, coming to know Jesus Christ. These men are from Israel, who is not God's chosen people, right? And we get this beautiful picture of that. But for them, the reaction was overwhelming joy, overwhelming worship that sprung out from their heart without pretense. And so I know that not every Christian is going to be always jolly, right? Not every Christian is always going to be happy. We are sad often and happy often. The Bible talks about that weird paradox that we have. But I just want to say that if we've never experienced this reaction, right, this joy, this great joy, this worship in Christ, we may not know him. And so, one puts this worth in Jesus Christ that leads to this joyful worship, and one puts uh, hatred of Christ deeper into their heart and seeks his destruction. And so, the second truth uh, that this leads us to is that in Jesus, we, we have joy. And I try to make these as simple as possible. But my, my heart uh, w- with these points is that, like we talked about during this Christmas season, right, a lot of the, the false hope that comes with it, which false hope comes everywhere, right? Uh, but my, my prayer is that, that we would lean into these truths and, and that we would find these joys to be really satisfying, uh, not just during the Christmas time, but all the time, right? And that we would find joy in Christ. Now, uh, this third thing Matthew's going to do is just really cool. Uh, it's just these last a few verses, but but here's what he says. So let's look at verse uh, 11 and 12, uh, and we got one more juxtaposition. We're going to look. So, uh, kind of halfway through verse 11, it says, "After they worshipped, it says, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way." So uh, the wise men, after they fall down and they worship, they pay homage to the king, they're rejoicing with great joy that they found the king that God has sovereignly led them to. And then their response is they open up all of their treasures and they begin to give Jesus gold, frankincense, myrrh. These things were nice gifts, right? These things were uh, good provision for the family, etc. But the part, the cool part is they they open these gifts. And Matthew is doing something here that's amazing. Um, so the wise men opened up the treasures that gave them to Jesus. Now their natural response to worshiping God was to let go of their treasures. I love that. Their natural response to worship was generosity. It flowed from it. They uh, like basically had their eyes opened and they let go of their treasures, which is a big deal, okay? Um, so 
Matthew is also doing something strategic here with these words, though, okay? When he talks about treasure, he is doing something strategic. Now, I can't take credit for this because someone pointed to me uh, this, this out. I won't call him out because uh, he's humble enough to where it might be awkward. But either way, okay, um, someone pointed this out, and I just think this is such a good tie-in through Matthew. If you look at the book of Matthew and the language he uses, the same word, uh, treasure, then... Um, you start to see what he's doing here. I want to go through a few of these with you. Just look at these texts here, and I think you're going to get the hint. But um, you can just look up on the screen. You don't have to turn there. But Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 12, 35 the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Matthew 13, 44, one of my favorite texts in all of the Bible, if not the one. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes out and says all that he has to buy that field. One more, Matthew 19, 21. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. Matthew is doing something. He's stirring something up in our worship about treasure. Treasure. See, what had happened to the wise men is not just simply that they are coming just to respect the king. I think there's something more. This great joy in them, this great joy of worship, it wells up into a response where now what used to be treasure, and I'm sure they had a lot of it, these noble men that made this journey just for this, right, became very small in comparison to the two-year-old treasure in front of them, the God-man Jesus Christ, right, that came to deliver the world. There was this response this response of giving because the greater treasure was there. That's a big deal for us. And just look at the language, and we'll get into um, some more of those texts in just a minute about treasure. But what I want to say is that there is a self-abandonment that looks crazy to the world but makes total sense to the Christian. There's a self-abandonment, this self-forgetfulness that looks crazy to the world, right? Because we're all about our, ourselves, right? That's the narrative of our day, which is you are important. You are great. You need to make yourself known. You need to tell your opinions to everyone because it's so important, right? And there's this self-forgetfulness in the Christian life that is such a beautiful thing based in the treasuring of Christ that we have. And Jesus is calling us to this self-abandonment. He is calling us to this freeing ever satisfying self-abandonment that is more satisfying than all the world's treasures could possibly be. If this isn't on your Christmas list, okay, you're missing out, all right? This self-abandonment, this treasure should be the top on your Christmas list. And so let's think about what's happening with King Herod here. Now, they're warned in a dream not to go back, and we see that King Herod, and he's continuing the narrative down the story if you continue to read Matthew, King Herod is hardened. He is hardened. He does not, the only reason he's pursuing Christ and seeking Christ is uh, to destroy him because King Herod has not experienced the treasure of who Christ is, right? That's the difference, right, is this treasuring. And so 
King Herod uh, hardened his resolve and he misses out on the soul-satisfying grace of Jesus Christ. The only person who could bring true peace and joy has come and Herod misses it because he would rather protect his small, minute kingdom that is going to end soon instead of joining the only lasting kingdom. This is a big deal for us. Now, most of us in here will never be a king or queen, okay? Maybe there's some random royal person where someone's going to die around the world and you get to take over. But outside of that, that's not going to be us, right? Um, We are not kings and queens. But we often play the role of king and queen in our own lives, don't we? Like, we may have a very small kingdom, okay? It's probably not as big as Herod's kingdom. But we have a kingdom, make no mistake, right? We have a kingdom that we try very hard to protect, that we try very hard to keep safe, make sure no one touches it because we're going to do things our way, the way we want, right? But the call for us today is in Jesus to say, I am the all-satisfying treasure. I'm everything you need. I'm everything you want. Come, right? That's uh, his words in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, you're weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus calls to come. He's satisfying. He's more satisfying than protecting your own kingdom. He's more satisfying than building your own life exactly the way you want it. He's more satisfying than getting to do everything you want to do before you die. And the list goes on and on and on. And so in Jesus, we are satisfied. Is that third point? In him, we're satisfied. And let's look at Matthew 13, 44 one more time. Because um, so important, I think. Uh, I love this text. Um, okay, so here's what it says, and, and we're kind of coming to an end here, but um, it says this. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This is a picture Jesus gave. He said, uh, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This, this man finds this treasure and he's so excited about this treasure that he goes and he sells all that he has. Now, I'm sure if you saw this man, you would say, you're, you're crazy, right? You can't just sell everything you have. You, you gotta have transportation. You, you gotta have, you know, things. You gotta provide for your family. You can fill in the blank. But he was so excited, so satisfied in the treasure that he found that he goes and sells it all. He sells it all. And the only reason he sells it all is so he can buy that field that has the treasure. To him, there was a shift in the importance of things, right? It went from whatever you fill in the blank is so important to, man, this field is everything to me. Which would look stupid, right? Like, why would you do that and buy a field? Like, you can, like it doesn't make any sense, right? But he went and did that. And so uh, my, my question for us today, my challenge for us today is, is Jesus satisfying like that? Is Jesus satisfying like that to us? Because, listen, that, that's the only, like, only place we can really place our hope, Right? Jesus is the only place that we can really, truly find satisfying joy. In all the false things of earth that we try to find joy in, and there's a lot of good things too, they're not bad things, we just, we, we just place the emphasis in the wrong spot, right? But all these things we try to find, they, just don't, they don't satisfy. They always leave you wanting, they always are going to mess up, they're never going to deliver on their promises. And so maybe this Christmas season, we could rally around the idea, which is Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is the gift. 
That's what makes giving gifts to people and getting gifts and this whole Christmas thing so joyful, right? Is we're celebrating the treasure we have forever. The things you're going to unwrap this year are going to fade. They're going to break. They're going to be annoying. They're, they're not going to be fun forever. But Jesus will be. And we got to preach this to ourselves. He is satisfying. And he's calling us to just get rid of some of the lesser joys and just find our joy in him. He is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and sold everything for. I'd love to just pray with us and just ask God for this. So if you wouldn't mind bowing your heads with me, let's pray together. You guys can stand up as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you once again for your word. It changes us, it moves us, it shapes us. It aids us, God, by the power of your spirit to reach out in faith and believe in you. It's so precious to us. And God, I pray as we look at this juxtaposition between uh, Herod and the wise men and all the implications that come from that, God, would you help us just to believe today? God, I don't know what everyone's dealing with and, and all those things, God, but, but you are ultimate joy. You are ultimate treasure. You are totally satisfying. And God, I, just, I don't want to spend my life in lesser joys because I can't see, God, how satisfying you are. We don't want to do that, God. We want you above all else. We want you above friendship, above stuff. We want you, God. We don't want to be like the rich young ruler who, when Jesus told him to sell everything and to get treasure in heaven, he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He didn't want to do it because his possessions were great. We don't want to be those people. Don't let us hold our possessions that way. Don't let us hold our emotions that way. But God, let us be satisfied. As we celebrate Christmas this year, may we be generous. May we overflow in a wealth of generosity because you complete us, because you are our joy, because you are worth it. You're worth traveling land and sea for. You're worth any difficulty that we could ever embrace and walk through because you are the treasure. You are the aim. You are the joy. So our simple prayer this morning, God, is help us. We believe, but help our unbelief. Help our dissatisfaction. And would you help us to find our all in you? Let us sing that right now. Let us believe that right now. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.